Good morning, America, and welcome to this morning's huddle, brought to you by Going On Offense. My name is Daryl Moon, and I'll be your host today. We are so excited to have you with us. We hope you will join the conversation today about being resilient, a personal quest. Now, for those that may not know, we're holding these huddles every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in an effort to both be a support to those who are struggling, but also to brainstorm and work together to share and create strategies to inject hope and optimism, where there may be doubt and despair. Before I introduce our guest panelists today, I'd like to remind participants of some of the guidelines we're trying to keep for these huddles. We welcome your participation and I hope you will be a part of the conversation. At the same time, we ask participants not to use this forum as a place to vent, complain, and criticize. We want to keep these huddles positive so as to inspire optimism and hope. However, we also want to acknowledge the real suffering and grief that people are experiencing. We also want to give a shout out to all those who are risking their lives on the front lines of this battle and caring for those who have the virus. Now, there are four purposes of these huddles. To support those struggling, to brainstorm strategies to help, to promote resources, and to engage collaboration. Now, to introduce today's guests, I'm honored to have with me David Contorno and Jody Susson. David is a good friend, a great hiking partner, and the CEO of ePowered Benefits. David is not only one of the most sought-after speakers and consultants in the health benefits innovation space, but is a great example of resilience both in his personal life as well as in his career. I am honored to have Dave as a guest today. Jody is also a good friend and owner of Susan Essentials. Jody is a strong advocate for proactive emotional and mental well-being. She works with organizations to develop a workplace and a culture that promotes health and mental wellness. I'm honored to have both Jody and Dave as guests today. Before I give both Dave and Jody a few minutes to introduce themselves, I thought I would use a diagram to better communicate the need for being proactive and going on offense to address the emotional effects that this pandemic is having on individuals. Okay, <clears throat> so just a few slides here. We all know that we live in a new world. And um, it's clearly a, a difficult world, different place. And stress, the stress that we're experiencing has a significant impact on our lives. Just a little bit about mental illness and, and the effects that mental illness can have. Um, it is considered one of the greatest reasons for workplace disability out there. People wait on average about 11 years after they have mental health symptoms before they get help. And about 57% of all people with mental illness never seek help. I'd like to use this diagram to just show you a little bit about the levels of intervention. And we're going to talk about the workplace, but this applies to or all organizations and just uh, the public in general. So clearly, a population comprising everyone, there's going to be a lot of people that are in good health. And um, one of the most important things we can do to promote mental wellness and well-being is to create cultures that inspire good health, as well as increase awareness. Now, Deloitte did a study where they showed that if you'll focus on just creating a culture of good health, and wellness and mental well-being, there's an ROI of 8.4 to 1. Now, things happen in our lives. We have a life event. 
prior to this pandemic, about 60% of all workforce employees experienced some level of mental health symptoms within a year. I imagine that is close to almost 100% right now. I think we're probably all experiencing some symptom of anxiousness or fear or doubt. And, and clearly, uh, it's affecting most of us. The ROI for being proactive and addressing and providing mental health support to this level, according to Deloitte, is six to one. Now, then you've got folks who wind up having a mental health condition, and that condition worsens because there wasn't good prevention. And that's about 20% of the population. And the ROI for intervening in that particular population is 5.1 to one. And then, of course, if we don't get in front of it, it winds up being a, a mental health condition that needs treatment. Now, there are many mental health crisis lines out there, and they play an incredibly important role, and we want to advocate and promote those. If someone's having a mental health crisis, call the crisis line. And, of course, there's employee assistance programs out there. Unfortunately, many don't get used as much as they should, but, again, it's a reactive resource where instead of being proactive is basically if you have a problem, call your EAP. The real focus, the focus of this whole effort on going on offense is that we need to be proactive and we need to not just sit back and hope that our friends, our family, our coworkers are doing okay, but we need to be proactive. And the whole purpose of this endeavor is to brainstorm, to discuss, to be creative on how we can not just simply say, here's a phone number you can call if you're having trouble, but what can we do to be proactive, to really create awareness and to reach out to people to address these issues? That's why we're having the huddles. So hopefully that helps to describe kind of the purpose of, of these huddles, is to be proactive, not just to have an ROI, but more importantly, to really address the pain and the suffering caused by despair and by fear. Fear is very paralyzing. And many are experiencing that paralyzation right now through this um, period of time. So with that, I'm going to give Dave four or five minutes to kind of introduce himself and then Jody, and we'll kind of uh, take things from there. Go ahead, Dave. Thank you. <clears throat> well, uh, great uh, great opening. Thank you so much, Daryl. My name is David Contorno, and um, I guess a little bit about me personally. Um, so much to go over in four or five minutes, just not a lot of time. But um, I grew up in a household that had a divorce when I was around 12 or 13. Nothing, you know, no, it felt major at the time, but it seemed a little more commonplace now. And when you think of the alternative of what life would have been like had they stayed together, I think I would have probably been a much different person um, and not for the better. Um, and a lot of my resilience that I found in my life came from, being that age when my parents got divorced. My sister was five years younger than me, and it really held her back. It really gave um, attachment issues and, and, and depression. And for some reason, maybe it's just because I was 12 or 13, it propelled me forward. And I actually got my first job telemarketing for Prudential Life Insurance at 12 years old. Wow. Um, so, um, you know, there was this sort of independence that came as a result of that. And I've been working... Um, basically for myself ever since um, to this day. Um, the other interesting part of my childhood is that, and my into, well into my adulthood, was that I was morbidly obese most of my life. And that caused a lot of um, issues in relationships with women, for example. Um, uh, 
I've had very few of them as an example. Um, I felt I was boisterous and I was the, the, the joker in the classroom, but you know, at the same time I was so insecure when it came to personal relationships that I generally avoided them. Um, and so um, I never really heard the phrase resilience until I met um, who's now a good friend of mine and a doctor named Dr. Alex Lickerman, who's actually in, in Chicago, Jody. Um, oh, okay. And he wrote a book on resilience. And, you know, I realized that I always felt that making a mistake is okay. Sometimes making it twice is even okay. Try to not make it a third time for sure. But if you look at every successful person, I mean, I probably don't want to go into the politics arena, but one of the things that people held against Trump, and I'm not a fan, but was that he had failed businesses. And I said, every successful business person has had failed businesses. I mean, it is so rare that they don't. Failure is how we learn. And um, the resilience part is what you make from that and what you come through on that. And to me, the alternative, the, the option is what we've always been with every major challenge in my life, die or become a better person. And I never considered death an option. So it was always make that better. And I really look at failures as opportunities. Um, when Even in business, when a small thing goes wrong, we autopsy it. We figured out what happened. And I learned a, 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 a great phrase from a client of mine who's a big Lean Six Sigma guy called countermeasures. You know, put countermeasures in place to prevent that from happening in your life again. Yeah. And when you start to apply these things, little and big, then your life gets better. And the other really core tenet that I believe for a very long time is that we should never stop improving. Some people believe me to be at the top of the industry, but when I walk into a room, even if it's a conference that I'm about to keynote speak at, I still feel like the junior guy. I still feel like there is something that I have to learn from every single person in that room. And that propels me to always move forward, no matter how many accolades I get or how much my ego gets stroked. And it, it happens a lot, and I like it, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but um, there's this piece of me that always wants to keep moving forward and keep learning and keep growing and recognizing that I can learn something from anybody. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Jody, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. So, uh, Jody Susan. Hi, everybody. Welcome, uh, you know, to this amazing uh, webinar. Thank you, Daryl, for putting this on. Um, I'm the CEO of Susan Essentials, um, which is founded um, in combination of bringing leadership and wellness together. Um, I had studied leadership since 1989. Um, my brother, my oldest brother, had brought me into an organization um, that was focused on personal development. Um, uh, I think they're international. It's called Landmark. And um, that's when I started trying to really take a look at me because I knew that I could only change me. Right? You can't change other people. They have, that has to come from within. And I studied for... Well, I mean, decades, right? And, um, you know, David, like you, I was obese. Actually, I started off really thin. I was a bodybuilder. And then I became obese. Um, 
when I was misdiagnosed and put on 17 medications. Um, and I was on these 17 medications for almost 20 years. Um, and then in 2013, I went on disability. So, Daryl, you had mentioned that, um, you know, the percent, I actually have it written down, but the percent of people that, you know, people have mental health conditions um, in the workplace and how that shows up. I was one of those people. And when I first got, um, when I first realized um, that I was the root cause of these problems, which is, you know, the key, because you are the source of your own problems, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, that's when things started to shift. But it took really 20 years. And, uh, you know, first I tried, you know, medications. That didn't work. Um, and I was put on all these different medical trials. And so in 2013, when I went on disability, because I nearly died, um, I remember sitting on the couch. And I thought about the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And that's when I switched everything up. Because I literally was going to die if I had not changed things up. And that's when I became resilient. Because I knew that this is was not what God had in store for me. And so I changed my entire diet. I changed my activity. I changed everything that I was doing because everything that I was doing then was contributing to my obesity, everything. And my inability to effectively lead and effectively interact with others. And um, it's interesting, I didn't feel like I was a very good leader for all those years. And as soon as I got my health back, hmm, spoiler alert, I was able to lead, right? And I knew I was able to lead because people started to follow. Didn't have to ask. They just automatically followed. And so um, really grateful that... I know a lot of people, um, so um, in your video you talked about how people are going to reflect back on this time that we're experiencing with COVID-19. And I studied under a man, uh, Dr. D. Martini, um, who's one of the authors of The Secret, uh, which talks about the law of attraction. And he had me look at everything as a gift, including the doctor that misdiagnosed me, including the doctor who put me on all these medications. Like, I'm grateful to him. And I'm not just saying that. I'm truly grateful to him because had he not done that, had I not had that path, had I not had all these experiences, how would I be able to help others and make a contribution and really understand what's going on for them? So for me, um, you know, uh, part of my my ability to be resilient is to operate with gratitude and look at everything as a gift. Nice. So. Thank you. Appreciate that. 
So to launch our conversation today, I'd like to invite um, anyone who's listening in to raise their hand and let us know that you would like to participate. Uh, and we will turn on your microphone and you can join us. And while I'm doing that, I'd like to uh, launch a couple of polls. One, to find out a little bit about, for those that are participating, uh, what's your purpose in participating? Is it for yourself or is it for others? So I'm going to launch this one. Um, share with us, if you will, the purpose for your participation today. With your own struggles or to help others? Pretty close a tie. It looks like people are pretty much done. I'm going to go ahead and oh, we got a few more coming in. All right, with that, I'm going to close and share it. So you can see. So about 38% said with their your own struggles, and 63 said to help others like family, friends, and coworkers. That's very helpful. Now what I'd like to do is launch another poll which is the four components. Um, so last week on Wednesday, Brent Hale, uh, co-founder of Blomquist Health Solutions, referred to in his discussion as a clinician the American Psychological Association's article on building resilience. And they mentioned four primary things that you can do to build resilience. One, build connections, foster wellness, find purpose, and healthy thoughts. We would love to hear from you which of these four you would like to see us focus our conversation on today. And we'll kind of use this as a priority as to how we kind of bring in the conversation and address these issues today. So thank you for filling this out. As soon as we see the numbers stop changing, we will launch it and then we will go from there. And again, please raise your hand if you would like to be a part of the conversation and join us today in the conversation about these things. Okay, it looks like uh, people have stopped entering, so I'm going to close that and share it. So, um, finding purpose looks like 40%, healthy thoughts, 30%, fostering wellness, 20%, and building connections, 10%. So with that, Bill Anderson has um, joined us. Bill, can you hear me? I can. Awesome. I'm, chuckling, I'm chuckling at your last little, your perspective, or the last little uh, analysis here because we're all building connections right now and it's the lowest one <laughs> <laughs> that's true good point um so i've launched that just so you can see i will hide that and um dave would you like to start maybe and share with us let's start with finding purpose how has helping others or being proactive or moving towards your own goals helped you in being resilient throughout your life? Well, I am a person of extremes um, in every sense of the word. And so um, 
I think the, the, the best example of that, that that I that was most powerful for me was most of my career has been um, as what you would define as a health insurance broker. And so that means that I um, brought plans to employers, usually back in the day from the Blue Crosses and the Uniteds and the Sigmas and Etnas, and I presented to them what was inevitably bad news. Your rates are going up, and the only way to offset that or some of that is to make the benefits worse. And when I started doing this 20-something years ago, um, you know, premiums were 100 bucks and deductibles were 100 bucks, so a 10% increase was not that big of a deal. But when you compound that 10 or 15% a year over 20-something years, I realized seven or eight years ago that um, I'm sitting around a room, the people that were making decisions, but we were at this $10,000 conference room table. We all came in in $75,000 BMWs, and we're making decisions that are impacting people that don't have $500 in their lifetime savings account. And I started to realize this trickle-down effect of really the what I was bringing, the, the options I was bringing these clients and what it was doing to these people. And these were people that I didn't interact with or frequently meet. And at that point, and, and, and it's still, the, it's not the way we operate with our clients anymore. We're completely out of the normal insurance space and we build custom plans that work completely opposite. But the state of most of the U.S. is the average out-of-pocket is $5,000 and the average savings account balance is under $1,000. That means that most of America is a bad sub-toe, urgent care visit away from bankruptcy. And it's evidence in the numbers, the number one cause of bankruptcy in the U.S. is medical bills. But here's a statistic that most people don't know. Nearly three-quarters of those people had health insurance. Now, if you look at every insurance ever designed in the history of humankind, every single insurance has been invented to serve one purpose and one purpose only, to protect us from catastrophic financial loss. That is the purpose of every single type of insurance. And yet health insurance is the only one that the average American goes bankrupt when they actually use. And then you think of the fear someone has in using their health insurance because of that very reason, that's when they don't get the help they need, the mental health help, the 17 medications that Jody was on being misdiagnosed because our system is also built on quantity of care. The quicker they get you out the door, the more services they provide, the more money they make. And it's much quicker for them to write you a script than to spend the time to diagnose the root cause of the problem. And so when I realized this trickle-down effect, I couldn't sleep at night anymore. I mean, I, I couldn't continue to make a living, a nice living, a good living. And I was paid commission at the time, so here's what's even worse is my clients' rates went up. The more they went up, the more money I made. I couldn't do it. And I almost immediately, you know, in the scope of changing a business model, it's as immediate as it can be, changed it completely. And I go into these boardrooms now, and I say to everyone in there, I am not doing this for you or for you or for you or for me. I'm doing this for your janitor. Do you even know your janitor's name? Do you know the name of his wife or her husband? It's those employers that embrace our model, the ones that care about their employees. And that's when I started to realize that there are models in life where you can give and have that mean the more you give, the more you get. And even in the way we get paid with by our clients, we have a performance-based model where the more we reduce 
claims costs, the more we improve the clinical health of the employees on the plan, the more they pay us. Whereas the traditional health insurance model works exactly the opposite way. So now I'm still getting these bonus checks. They're not coming from United Healthcare and Blue Cross and Blue Shield anymore. They're coming from my clients when I serve the needs of them and their employees. And that really fostered such a deeper connection. It, it, it changed my whole outlook on life and business. And um, I realized that I, as that broker, what we now call ourselves an advisor or a consultant because we're not brokering insurance anymore. If you think about the scope of most businesses, I can't think, and I think most brokers don't understand this responsibility. I can't think of a single other consultant or employee that not only impacts something as big on the company's P&L, but also impacts something as big on every single employee's P&L, their personal home P&L, and even more so, clinically impacts the health and well-being of that family. And this occurred to me when seven or eight years ago, I had an employee who basically said, this plan that I put in place for them was such crap that his wife's multiple sclerosis medication is no longer being covered, and she's now writhing at home in pain, in bed, and she's not a wife to him anymore, and she's not a mother to her children anymore, and she's not a grandmother to her grandchildren anymore. She's not an employee to her employer anymore, and it's all because of your health plan. And I, this is, <laughs> I drove up to this lumber manufacturer in the middle of North Carolina, okay, in rural North Carolina, in a $100,000 black Audi, almost limousine. Okay, that's what I pulled up in, to have this 50-year-old field manager who probably never made more than $50,000 in his life tell me that I'm, I took away his entire wife's life in exchange for my Audi pulling up there. That's the way I felt, and that's what changed me. That's certainly an incredible purpose that you found to make change. Thank you. Jody, how about you? How has purpose and finding purpose helped you in making the resilience changes that you've made? <clears throat> so it's such a great question. So my background is in finance. Um, I was working at a bank uh, when I was 13 and a half years old, and um, everything I did was in the financial services industry, launching the debit card program um, in an 18-state area. Everything and then uh, financial advising. So everything was financial wellness. But when I got sick, um, I realized that it, the most valuable thing that you can have is not money. It's your health. And when you have your health, it drives the money. Um, and that's how I found my purpose. So my, my illness, um, my having to figure out the importance of food as medicine, understanding the importance of clean water, understanding the importance of using essential oils or plant-based healing instead of synthetic medications using um, energy-based healing instead of synthetic medications and exercise. And when I, to me, that was like finding the fountain of youth. You could see other pictures of me. I'm 
don't look so good, <laughs> you know. And so that's how I found my purpose because I realized most people didn't understand that the impact of eating processed foods. And when I realized what it did to my body was not really unique. Like, um, right now, like we know, well, I know, I shouldn't say we know. <laughs> let, me, let me be a little bit more specific. So, the immune system can be depleted with stress. And if you're not managing stress, your body will break down. And so when I understood that connection, um, that's how I found my purpose. I'm like, well, I have to do two things. I have to figure out how to support a healthy immune system how and how to keep my stress levels um, at a minimum. And there's good stress and bad stress, and that's a conversation for another day. But um, there's a healthy stress. Um, and that's how I came up with my purpose, which was to bring both wellness, meaning physical, emotional, um, physical and emotional well-being, well, the three T's is toxins, traumas, and thoughts, right? Those are the three things that will subluxate a spine. Um, a subluxation is a misalignment of your spine. And when your spine is misaligned, um, you start having emotional distress. You start having pains, um, which then brings you more emotional distress. <laughs> You know, so when you learn to alleviate those things, when I learned how to alleviate those things, I was able to keep myself centered and balanced. And so I feel compelled to always make sure that people have an opportunity to learn about self-care so that you don't, David, have to go to the doctor, <laughs> right? Um, and every time that you have a problem, right, maybe you can, um, a, a good example, um, I have two pets, uh, they're two birds, um, uh, they are exotics, and birds have a lot of anxiety. I didn't know why they have so much anxiety, and I think, honestly, and I don't, I don't have proof of this, but like people, when we expose ourselves to toxins, um, it messes with our brain, and then we start being, we get, we have inappropriate responses to what should be otherwise a normal, you know, conversation. Well, for birds, they, um, they, their nervous system is, is very fragile. So if you think about decades ago, about the canary in the coal mine, right? We used to send the canaries, right, into the coal mine to see if there's any, right? Um, so I am that canary in the coal mine. So you can send me into a place, and if I have a reaction, you know, no one else should probably go there. <laughs> but I give my birds basil, so fresh basil off of plants that I grow here in the house. Because basil helps people with their stress. It's a plant. And when you start learning all the different things that support 
a good mood. Like for instance, if you're feeling depressed, an orange. It's citrus. It naturally makes you happy. And so when I started learning these things, that's how I cultivated my purpose. Because it's so important that someone should be able to not pop a pill if they're feeling depressed. Have an orange. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Great purpose. Bill, would you like to share with us how purpose has helped you be resilient? Well, first of all, uh, it's extraordinary to uh, meet and listen to you two, Dave and Jody. Um, Daryl, I was just sitting here thinking that you and I have known each other certainly the majority of my professional life and yours and and um, half my life. And, and having the connection with you two folks, um, I feel like I'm sitting listening to myself talk back. And we, we, I think the connection for me or the purpose for me is I feel like I have been alone and jumping up and down for 35 years on this subject matter. And, you know, starting out as a broker and, and you know, I, I, really my purpose is I'm listening to you is I'll, I'm going to just say amen to everything that you both have said because I've lived in both of those spaces and I don't want to duplicate that, but there's a, a, a driving point for me. Um, I, I'm a young man who was adopted uh, in my, in my very early age, very uh, newborn. And I was adopted by extraordinary human beings, but uh, my, my mother, not but, but my mother that raised me was unable to have children. She had rheumatic fever back in uh, in her youth uh, that killed her immune system and basically took her, her female organs and whatnot. So anyway, she couldn't have babies. So by the time I came along, my cousins or even my siblings who are also adopted have referred to me as King Billy uh, most of my life because I was my mother's first child that she couldn't have on her own, that she, she got as an adopted kid. So I was raised in an environment where, you know, everything I did, everything I said, everything that I wanted, I got. And and mom didn't realize the effect of that along the way, except there was one thing that I didn't get. And it was, as I observed my mother, she had 17 major operations by the time I was a senior in high school. She's had 77 total. Now, she's 83 years old. She has no business being alive from a perspective of health. She's been taking 28 to 30 different drugs a day most of my entire life. And I remember as a little 8-year-old boy, I remember mom had gone through one of those surgeries and she had come home and they were trying to teach her how to walk again. And I remember laying in the hallway down the end of our little hallway in the home we grew up in and mom was coming out of her bedroom with her walker. Now, this was a very young woman with me at 8, right? So, So I'm almost 60 now. And and uh, and mom was trying to learn how to walk. And I remember her coach. I remember coaching her mom. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. Well, mom from that period to high school had died multiple times, brought back to life, all these different diseases and things she's dealing with. So I made a decision from a purpose perspective that one day, somehow, some way, in some creative sense, I was going to find a way to poke a hole in the universe of healthcare. Now, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. My dad's a very brilliant man. Uh, I was raised in a very educational home with, with PhDs and whatnot, and I thought I was going to go be a doctor and save the world. 
self-proclaimed King Billy saved the world, fix everybody, all that stuff. Soon discovered that I didn't have any control over anything, um, but also realized that if I was going to make a difference and have a purpose, that maybe it was in this healthcare space and in a different perspective. So I fell into the space of telling the story or sales and fell in love with the story, but I was not happy with the story that I was seeing from the healthcare arena. You know, Dave, I, I like you, come through a perspective of, I, I haven't taken a fully insured commission for more than 25 years from a carrier, because I believe that it was the evil empire that was built into my mind that was saving my mother, but also cre I was blaming them and creating this monster of who they were for making my mom continually sick. And, and I was watching with my very own eyes and blaming them, well, it wasn't necessarily their fault, but blaming them that you guys were fixing her, but you were also creating this problem so you could create more surgeries and have more and do more and do more and do more. And while there may be some of that that's true along the way, I don't think that the doctors woke up on any given day and said, let me see if I can make Virginia's life a mess and let me see if I can just make more money from every surgery. I don't believe they did that. So, you know, but, but I think our system ha that we've allowed and created gave me a sense of purpose that I am not going to go down swinging without taking a shot at this thing to make a difference, to help employers see the difference, to help employees see the difference. And, and if it was something as simple as stop taking pharmaceutical drugs, Jody, I'm with you on this. I mean, I, I went for a period of time in my life that I, I went for 14 straight years without even taking an aspirin. Uh, I had a surgery on my, I had a, a simple surgery on my body that was done with a natural antiseptic that the doctors made me sign my whole life away and said, if you're not going to let us put our stuff in you, we don't know that we can even do this surgery unless we have all kinds of waivers. And I mean, I pushed it to the edge. I was a radical on all kinds of interesting stuff, you know, and I wanted a natural antiseptic to be, or a natural uh, an, uh, anesthesia wow. to take the pain away while I did this little surgery. Now, it wasn't that serious. They were just taking a little thing out of my, you know, off my skin. It was a growth of little no nodule off my chest, but it worked, and and I and I became progressively interested in what are the possibilities. Dave, that's pretty hard to sell to an employer that they do wacky things like that. But I didn't go that far. But I've I've fallen in love with this passion that we all have, and I'm glad to know that there that there are us out there and more of us everywhere that probably we even give credit for. I think that our combined voices in today's world give me a purpose to connect with all of these voices sooner than later. And I, and I, and Dave, to your point, and then I'll finish with this, I am extremely grateful for the catastrophic, potentially catastrophic, or let's just say the, the, um, the challenges, the obstacles, and the hell that we are currently going through. Because what this is doing is it's exposing lots of things, including the reality of how our healthcare system works, uh, not just with coronavirus, but how accessible things really are, how important it is to have the right components working together and know where to go for legitimate information that's probably not CNN or NBC or uh, but but where do I really go? What do I really do? I think that more opportunity is going to be created 
to help people get through this perceived challenge or hell or whatever it is they're experiencing, I think, I think we have more responsibility and more opportunity than we've ever had in our entire careers right now, in my opinion. Thank you, Bill. Darryl, so, can I? Go ahead, there, there were two thoughts that I wanted to say. One was to back up something that Jody said. Um, she talked about um, inflammation, and the number one drug in this country that we spend money on is Humira or Enbrel, and it's an anti-inflammatory. And really, the 90% of inflammation that people are experiencing is caused by what they eat. And so the number one drug dollar-wise in this country is counteracting what we're putting in our mouths for the most part. But there was something else that Jody said. You know, she mentioned, as, as did I, about a weight loss story, and, and I lost about 220 pounds. So, we, you know, we're talking a pretty substantial amount of weight. Wow. And I was overweight most of my life. And so and my mother was very embarrassed by my being overweight. I, I realize that now. She never said that to me. But it was a source of embarrassment. So she tried and brought me to everything, Weight Watchers, the Fen-Fen, the med medications that were supposed to absorb the fat. I won't even tell you some of the side effects of that. Um, but it gained more than what I lost back. And the point that I wanted to bring up, and I think what's important to this conversation, you know, Jody mentioned how she started to give her birds basil for their anxiety, right? But I'm sure she didn't give them a leaf of basil and their anxiety instantly went away. What changed my diet, dietary life was small, little, incremental changes. It wasn't going on saying, okay, tomorrow I'm going to eat nothing but chicken and rice for the next 30 days. It was small little things. Here's one example. I travel a lot. I'm on maybe 200 flights a year on average. And in every airport where there's an escalator, there's also stairs next to it. And I noticed something. I never saw overweight people taking the stairs. I said to myself, if I don't want to be overweight, maybe I should start to notice what non-overweight people do and do that. <laughs> and I'll tell you, you are on 200 flights a year and you take the stairs instead of the escalator, you're talking thousands and thousands of calories over the course of the year differential. And so I think it's those small little changes. Instead of thinking, I have to lose 220 pounds, I'm going to lose five pounds. And when I get that done, then I'll worry about the next five pounds. And I even do that with my eating. When I crave a food that I really want, a piece of cake, although I'm not a big sweets person, but uh, I say, you know what, I really want that cake, but, and the last thing I want right now is a handful of almonds, but I'm going to force myself to have the handful of almonds, and if I still want that cake in 15 minutes, I'll reconsider at that point. It's those small little changes, I think, that make resilience impactful and long-lasting. Well, and Dave, you just introduced kind of the next topic that people wanted to talk about which is embracing healthy thoughts. Your, your thinking and the way you approach small incremental improvements and your thinking about that was incredibly helpful and you're being resilient. Jody, do you have anything you want to share in, when it comes to embracing healthy thoughts and being resilient? Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple things. Uh, uh, if I may, though, I'd like to just kind of address a couple things that Dave and King Billy said. Um, because <laughs> the nodule off your chest, King Billy, um, I did the same. I had a nodule in my mouth. I'm going to tell you I used a, a, uh, um, a functional shot, and I don't mean an injection, but just um, 
including turmeric, and it actually, the nodule went away on its own. The first time I had a nodule in my mouth, I had it surgically removed. Second time, I just took this shot, and it went away in like a day. Um, uh, and then David, the stairs. So when I was, um, I used to have periodic paralysis, and I couldn't move. And, um, like, for 20 minutes at a time. And it was actually a function of what I was eating, looking back at it today. But, um, so my exercise was going down the stairs, like, to get started. And it wasn't about losing five pounds. It was about walking down the stairs. And, um, and so, um, and then that drives to Daryl about, the healthy thoughts. So this is one of my mantras. Let your faith be bigger than your fear. The first time I ever had to do public speaking, I was so scared. <laughs> and I had my transition photos up there, and I didn't know what people were going to say, and I was scared. And so... Healthy thoughts are just let your faith be bigger than your fear. Because the worst thing is, is that you're going to make a mistake and you get to do it over. Because guess what? We get do-overs. <laughs> you know, like that's the worst thing. And like David said before, sometimes you have to do it over a second time. Hopefully not a third time, but you know, like that. And so, um, and the other thing is, which I was not aware of up until the last, I mean, I kind of was aware of it, really didn't know how prevalent this was. People have a lot of self-limiting beliefs. So here's a message I want to give people, all of you, I don't care who you are. You are loved. You are good enough. And... God or higher being, or if you if you believe in a higher power, I don't care what religion you are, made you perfect. And yeah, it's always great to be a lifelong learner. Like David, I'm a lifelong learner. Like Daryl, right? We, we constantly want to push the envelope. But you can be perfect. You can be a lifelong learner. And you're going to make mistakes along the way, and that's okay. Because if you aren't making mistakes, you're not learning. So those about that's my thoughts on embracing uh, healthy, powerful thoughts. Thank you. And when you can manage that, let me just close with this. If you can manage what you think, and continually exposure. Now, I used to put, like, signs and still do around the house with things to think about. You're in the house. Post up something positive on different walls or places wherever you're at. Post it up. Like, surround yourself with love. Surround yourself with positivity. It will sink in. <laughs> so, anyways, go ahead, Daryl. So, Bill, before you start, a question came in. And since we only have a couple more minutes left, I'd like you to maybe... Think about this question, and Dave, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to. The question is, um, how do we approach this, the stress and anxiety of this pandemic like you approached your weight loss? 
or any one of us as we've approached the resiliency in our past, how do we apply those principles to, to address the, the risks and the emotional risks associated with this pandemic? Bill, if you'll take just a couple minutes to address that, and then Dave, and then we'll close up. Yeah, I, I, I think all of these things are the same conversation, at least to me, and it's about perspective. Um, this life for all of us, I mean, we're all in it together. We're all going through challenges. We all have a story of some kind that we've been through. Um, we all have a, a challenge, a, 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 a hell, if you will, or, a, or a, a defining or multiple defining experiences. I think the reality of it is, is that you have to stop and you have to look at those with some level of gratitude. And the level of gratitude has been mentioned here as, hey, it's a learning experience. I, I'm, I'm a work in progress. Uh, I don't see myself that way anymore in making bad decisions. I've changed my I, my perspective of how I see this. I mean, if we we could jump to all kinds of things, we could say, listen, we've lost what? I don't even know how many people we've lost. We've lost 21,000 people worldwide in this pandemic or whatever it is so far. In the exact same period of time, we've had a million nine hundred thousand people die of hunger. So where's the perspective? We've had uh, I don't even know how many suicides, but way more than 21,000. We've way more people have died from the flu, for crying out loud. I think it's over 150,000 people have died from the flu in the exact same period from January to March. So I'm not saying that corona is not relevant. I'm not saying it's not nasty. I'm not saying I'm disrespecting the people that have lost loved ones. Um, I've lost some friends myself. Daryl, you know we've lost some amazing people here in Utah recently uh, to this nasty thing. So I... I'm not disrespecting that, but if we look at it with a respect of, hey, listen, this is just a life experience and being positive and lifting each other and looking at myself from a positive perspective of what can I do to make a difference instead of whine about it and complain about it. Um, and, and I'm talking about simple stuff like looking outside and seeing that there's eight guys in my neighborhood that were all out walking together all six feet apart, and they were out for a walk this morning that would all normally be at work right now. And I could have gone out and joined them. Uh, and, and instead, I found myself throwing the ball to the dog or whatever. But there's relationships and experiences that are happening differently. I think we need to see this from a positive perspective and gain the wisdom we can in the midst of the 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 the, uh, the challenge. Yeah. Nice, Dave. I am a big believer in um, you can't give you can't get what you don't give away. And so my recommendation, and I, I can't tell you how powerful this has been in my life, is pick a couple people and ask them how they're doing. Send them a text or Marco or a Facebook message, not for the purpose of them asking back how you're doing so you can vomit on them and say, I'm doing horrible, I'm feeling horrible. Ask them how they're doing genuinely to ask them how they're doing. And if they try to turn the conversation back to you, keep it on them. Try that. Do it with one or two or three people a day, and you will be amazed. My significant other, she has a group of women, and she's also lost a lot of weight. She's lost 140 pounds. So between the two of us, we lost 360 pounds. And she has, she was bodybuilding at one point, too. And she has a, a group of women that she checks in with long before this ever occurred, every Saturday morning. Um, and she texts them or sends them a message every Saturday. And it's not a message that she types and then copies and pastes to each one of them. It is a specific message dedicated to each person, individualized for each person. 
And I'm telling you, the more that you give away of that type of kindness and love, the more you'll get back. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks to all of you. To close things up today, let me just share a few thoughts, and then I've got a, another little short, funny video that I think you'll appreciate. All right. So I'd like to, in conclusion, um, just mention that this Friday's huddle on April 10th will be with Mark Cook. He'll be my guest to talk about reinventing work to respond to this new world we live in. Mark is the founder of Windfall Series and has been called the work whisperer by clients and a proven business builder by Stephen Covey. Immediately following this huddle, you will receive an email survey asking for your feedback on today's huddle. We encourage you to complete it and to give us feedback on how we can make these even more effective in the future. Please send us your ideas and suggestions for themes for future huddles, as well ideas and suggestions that everyone can do to be proactive, we can load up on the website. Again, if you would like to be a guest panelist and provide input, or if you know someone who would be good, please let us know. We'd love to get um, your input. And please use the contact us form on the website, goingonoffense.com, to share your thoughts. Again, we want to thank today's participants and guests, David, Jody, Bill. We also want to thank the organizations who have gotten behind this effort and are supporting it. Check out the wonderful offers being made on the help page of our help, of our website where organizations are offering free or discounted services, some tremendous offerings there that can help people get through this that you can share with friends, family, you can use yourself. We will be posting this webinar later today on the website as we've done in the past. Uh, to wrap things up today, I'd like to play a little video of a very talented gentleman who adapted a well-known Disney song to the current situation, I think you'll enjoy it. Again, we'll sign off now and thank all that have been that have participated. And remember, we do this every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning.